This episode of the Unlearning Hour was recorded on December 2nd, 2008. Without prejudice, all rights reserved. This is Hiram Goldfinger here. And this is Bill. This week, what are we going to be talking about? Well, a number of interesting things. Our political masters are playing... Uh, masters? Uh, no. You have a master? I don't no. have a master. Do you have no, a master? not our master. So our political idiots are playing, are playing games again in Ottawa. We're also going to talk a little bit about the financial situation that's going on right now. And also, we're going to get into some of this, uh, well, Bill, you are, uh, this free man stuff, which is rather interesting. Very interesting. If you say so. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> so, Bill, what do you think of the uh, election, uh, election issues that we're having in, uh, in Canada right now, where it looks like, we're, looks like the government is about to be taken over? I think this is absolutely fantastic what's going on right now. Because what this is going to do is hopefully open more and more and more people's eyeballs as to what's going on. And they start to realize how, how ir irrelevant the whole political structure really is. How it really doesn't, doesn't make a difference what you vote for, how you vote. They're going to do what they're going to do no matter what you do. Right, so we really don't control the government at all. It's this, uh, it's uh, an, an, ent an entity that just runs amok by itself and does whatever the hell it wants. Absolutely. In the end, after an uh, election, there's only one thing that's, that'll ever come of it, is that the government always gets elected. That's true. And then they, they go up to the pork barrel and fill their pockets. <laughs> you know, absolutely. They're getting, they're getting free massages on the top of the parliament buildings. God only knows what else they're getting up there. You know, it's that tiny little office up in the corner. I mean, it's just ridiculous. The whole thing is ridiculous. We're the taxpayers here. All we do is earn, 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 so they can spend like drunken sailors. Well, I mean, how about they cut the, the budget by 60%? That would be a great place to start. Well, maybe we'll talk about that afterwards, about whether you want to be a taxpayer anymore. Well, that's another thing, you know. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous that we have tax on tax on tax now. And uh, it's coming to a point where, well, I think what, what's really happening now with the financial crisis, that uh, people are going to start questioning every little expense now. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased with what's going on, because the, the, the truth of the matter is, is revealing its ugly head. And, uh, and hopefully, and what I've seen so far anyways, with my few brief glances I've had on the television, because I really don't watch, watch that crap, but the few glances I've had, the backlash seems to be extremely high, which is great, because that's just going to make people uh, you know, wake up more so, and, and, and the fury is going to be passed on from person to person. So we're going to see some action, I think, out of this. This is definitely a, a, a world-changing event. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's just disgusting that these guys are up there uh, spending money like drunken sailors. They finally want to rein in the uh, expenditures by cutting back their, uh, their trough. They're like little pickies at the trough, uh, sucking up all taxpayers' dollars so they can go out and campaign and spread their propaganda and spend even more money without our consent, without our management. I mean, these people should be managers. They shouldn't be politicians. I mean, we need a manager. We need somebody to manage the, uh, the whole system. And management means uh, you basically reduce expenses. Re re expenses should be continually reduced. Yes. Expenses should be continually reduced until you end up laying yourself off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And what are these doing? Government hiring is just uh, spinning out of control. These people go for so it. So go ahead. Yeah, the pit is uh, about to have a bottom, you know, where the taxpayer just doesn't have any more money left. Yeah. They, just, they just can't pay it anymore. Just say that's enough. You know, you spent, you've spent into oblivion, and that's the end of it. In fact, our government, our wonderful Ontario government, lost $620 million on these uh, subprime mortgages. I mean, where's the punishment? Why aren't we taking these people out and flogging them? Yeah. For making a stupid uh, move well, like I, that. I keep, I keep waiting for that. You know? Keep waiting for that. And that's well, why we see these stupid moves that they make by uh, basically uh, creating a dictatorship like they're doing right now. And uh, I just, uh, I laugh with glee 
I mean, well, I mean, what, what what we have right now is hardcore communism. Uh -huh. I mean, Jack Layton and uh, all these other guys are just nothing but hardcore communists. And what they're going to do is they're going to start a bailout program where they're going to spend billions and billions of taxpayer dollars with absolutely no accountability. And they'll spend us into prosperity. Apparently. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, that's the way it works. <laughs> these idiots. They have no clue what they're doing. They're, they're completely clueless. I mean, if, if, if Jack Layton or uh, uh, Stephen Dion or the separatist uh, Gilles Zuzep I mean, if they had any idea how the real world worked and how the real economy worked, do you think they'd be politicians? No, they'd be out doing something more productive that actually made money instead of lying and cheating like the little bastards that they are. Yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna see some action on this one. I think this is the this is gonna be the straw or the first straw that's gonna break the camel's back now because people, um, since this whole Afghanistan war's been going on. We've been, uh, we're, we're paying through the nose in taxes. Um, people are sick and tired of bending over to the whole American scheme of things uh, with the, the, the Bush presidencies, one after the other there. and uh, Well, Bush Clinton now. Bush Clinton, exactly. And now we've got uh, Obama Clinton. So we've got the socialist bloc starting up in, in the south, in the states. And now we've got a, a, essentially a coup taking place here in Canada with the same socialist bunch of psychopaths, um, I don't really don't know which is worse, uh, a, 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 com a conservative uh, psychopath government or a socialist psychopath Well, they're all government. communists. They're all communists. They're all, yeah, they're all shades of the same... same communism. Uh, communism. Absolutely. Right? One is light red and the other is dark red. That's about it. But they're both red. You know, they wear red socks and red underwear and red hats. I mean, these are hardcore Moscow-style commies. And uh, hey, the, the the more the more damage they do right up front like this out in the open, I think the better it's going to be for oh, everybody. We need some tarring because and some feathering. Exactly. We, there's going to be there's going to be a run on pitchforks at Canadian Tire. Oh, you. absolutely. <laughs> you know we need, you know the Frankenstein is loose in the castle, and uh, now the townsfolk have to come out with the pitchforks and the torches. Yes. And they definitely have to address some of the issues. Absolutely. I, I was just on this Facebook account here, and I was having a little chuckle at, um, at some of the names that they have uh, basically uh, come up with for this uh, political party. And they've got a few zingers, a few real good ones. Here's one. The Non-Democratic Party of Liberal Separatists. And another guy says here, how about call it the Bolshevik Revolutionary Politburo of the Federation of Canada? <laughs> <laughs> and then here's the one with a little bit of a Borat spin on it. Great insane leftist rush to communism for make benefit to liberals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Yep. So the more they go, the, the better it'll be. So, yeah, we're just uh, kicking back and laughing all the way because now people are starting to look at each other and go, Hey, May, wait a minute. What's this all about, really? How can this be? Is, well, is, is voting a fraud? Absolutely. Is the whole system a joke? Oh, I think it is. Well, I mean, it's just, it's at a point now where it's just disgusting. I mean, the whole thing is just disgusting. And uh, we now have to ask ourselves, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about this nonsense? And uh, I think there's a lot of different ways to approach it, but I, I, I think the first thing is to voice our displeasure with the, uh, with the, uh, the Politburo itself, you know, and say that this is, this is just ridiculous. I've already done that, Mark. Yeah? I've already sent them my notices that I'm no longer part of the political system. I've essentially fired their asses. Yeah, that's a good way of doing it, actually. That's a great way of doing it. Just say you're fired, I've had enough of this nonsense. Yeah, I, I don't need your representation anymore. Uh, thanks for the years of uh, quote-unquote service, uh, but your services aren't required anymore, and uh, thanks. Well, it's, it's not more of a service, it's more of an extraction process. Well, yeah, except um, the extraction process is completely voluntary, and that's the problem with us, is we don't realize that we sign up for these things, and then we're held to them, without right. realizing that we are bound 
by these contracts. So you have to break these contracts and basically tell them you're fired. I don't want to work for you anymore. I quit. And I don't want you working for me anymore. You're fired. Well, I think I think what's going to really happen is, uh, you know, when Jacko, Jacko gets in there, wacko Jacko, and uh, and all his uh, liberal, you know, henchmen, uh, they're, they're going to start spending like there's no tomorrow. And I mean, they don't. These guys don't even understand what the what, what they're the spending. Deal, <laughs> what they're spending, you know, they're spending us into oblivion. Is what they're doing. It's you know? okay because every single RRSP, they've got a spreadsheet somewhere that has all the nice totals lined up. All this money, according to them, they know this is all accessible. It's part of their purse, and I have a feeling they've already got their eyeballs on it. Oh, for sure. You can bet on that. You can absolutely bet on that. You know, we're going to have to uh, have our money go to pay the international banks off. You know, that's what this is all about. I mean, it, it, what really bothers me is, I mean, this situation was totally 100% avoidable. 100% avoidable. I mean, there was no, n no reason to go into this. But, uh, of course, you know, the Americans went bananas. Canada's, I, I was reading on CTV, uh, ctv.ca I think was on their uh, website as a news clip or it was on, on their television show. They said every Canadian or 50% of Canadians are three paychecks away from bankruptcy. I mean, that's incredible. That's incredible. It never used to be like that. Um, is, I, I'd love to know, is that normal? Is it usually eight or ten weeks or twelve weeks or... 16. Well, I mean, back in, the, back in the 70s, people had a lot more resiliency. They had a lot more savings, a lot lower debt load. I mean, they could live on a lot less. Uh, I mean, right now there was, I think it was Pittsburgh Glass or some other glass company just uh, said they were closing uh, two plants, and one in Oshawa and one in Oakville or Cambridge. I mean, it was a big uh, news announcement. It's just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. I mean, the jobs are disappearing so fast now. Uh, I've been to clients uh, where they're you know, laying off two and two and three shifts, mm -hmm. closing down, um, and it's just shrinking. The economy is shrinking so quickly. Yes. I think it's surprising everyone how quickly. I mean, next year, next year is going to be very interesting because we're going to see cities and states and provinces start laying off people by the hundreds, by the tens of thousands, as their budgets have just shrink to into oblivion. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think that what we're going to see, unfortunately, is we're going to see probably right after Christmas, early in the new year, when the fourth quarter final, final numbers, figures come in, we're going to yep. see some uh, very dramatic shifts, and then after the first quarter of 09 comes to a close, then we're going to see some real big action happen. Yeah. And uh, whatever happens with this whole political irrelevant spectacle that they're creating right now, um, you're, you, we're going to see something happen in the uh, in the, 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 the late winter, early spring. Yeah. Uh, in terms of a of a conscious shift, I think in the people. I mean, it's been coming now for years. Um, I think you and I are a little bit ahead of the game on on the whole shift in consciousness we see yeah. what's coming a little bit ahead of of everybody and we've been preaching about this for years and now i just i i'm i'm really happy and that's why we're doing this radio show i'm finally happy to see that it's actually starting to come to a head well and, and I think more and more people even when we're in out in public just in the tim horton sort of thing just chatting out loud i can see people turning their heads and and listening and acknowledging that uh, yep. that, that that we're not wackos anymore. Oh, right? look! You know what? I mean, what's really amazing about this? If you take a look at financial history, which is, and, and not just you know the nineteen twenty nine st type stuff. I mean, if you go back uh, all the way to the first few blowouts, which were back in sixty six B C from the Romans, we've had a number of these things. We've had sixty uh, six B C where the Romans, you know, typical stuff, they incur huge amounts of public debt, they finance these crazy wars that are never-ending, these imperialistic wars. Then came uh, Florence, I think it was 1345, 1346. They had a huge crash, same deal, they were fighting all kinds of crazy wars. 
They incurred huge amounts of public debt. They couldn't pay it. They defaulted. All the banks, imagine that. Florence had a stock market and a banking system. I mean, all the banks collapsed. The wealthy families just went into default. Did uh, they, do you know if they had a, a fiat system back then? Or no, they had a, it was the, the coins were gold florins, and they were actual gold coins. Wow. But the, the problem was, it had nothing really to do with the gold standard. It was just that they had huge amounts of public debt that they couldn't service anymore. So this is, the, the debt was what? Paper money debt? No, it was gold. Oh, it was okay. well. I mean, it was it was promises didn't have right. It was promises to pay in gold that they didn't have. Mm. What they would do is they would borrow money from the wealthy families, that would finance the wars, and they would give them a piece of paper, a basic, basically a negotiable security, that said we promise to pay you X amount of you know gold florins at such and such an interest rate, and. You know, it was assuming like a, there'd be someone to dig it out of the ground right. at a later date. Well, no, it would, assuming that there would be the income, because Florence at that time was a, a major trading center. A lot of the artisans were based there. I mean, it was a thriving, thriving community. Um, and what ended up happening was they said, okay, well, we can't afford... The interest rate was set way too high. So they, the, the was a Florentine commune, they called it. And essentially... And I mean, this isn't my my theories or anything. This was a, uh, a quite renowned uh, university professor from the University of California um, at Berkeley, and he uh, he documented this. Uh, he wrote a number of books on it. One was called Monetary Policy of 14th Century Florence. It's uh, out of print, but you can still buy it. Uh, and, and essentially, what happened was they they came to this point where the debt was like 900,000 gold florins. And remember, this is only a community of 45,000 people. And what, they, what used to happen in Florence, the, the people themselves would fight these wars. So really the cost was somewhat limited. I mean, it was just this, it was sort of like the Swiss Army idea, right? Everybody has a gun in their closet, mm -hmm. and the army can be mobilized overnight. Uh, but, uh, you know, as to what happens with every society, they got a bit lazy, they didn't want to fight these things, so they outsourced it. So they had the, uh, you know, the version of uh, Blackwater back then, you know, the Florentine Blackwater. And they hired mercenary bands of Germans and English, and they went out and they fought their wars. And, of course, it became quite expensive because, you know, when, when you're not physically doing it, you tend to create a lot of waste. waste. Yeah. So essentially what happened, the debt got bigger and bigger and bigger, and uh, a lot of the uh, major families thought that this debt was... Of course, it was backed by the community, and that it was a bottomless pit, right? But eventually, what happens with everything? The ability to strip the income out of the, the uh, ordinary citizens, it just reached a point where they said, well, we, no, we can't. You, you could tax us 100%. It wouldn't be enough. Right. So, of course, what they did is they said, the government said, okay, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to reduce the interest rate on the bonds to 5%. Mm -hmm. So they cut it in half. And, of course, what promptly happened, the value of that paper fell, like, 30%. And that caused a panic in the banking centers. So all the Florentine banks collapsed. The wealthy families went into default because they were actually trading those coupons as real money, of course. Right? Because well, so, everyone's lazy. And well, they figured whatever we can trade, we're going to trade. Yeah, there you go. So, of course, it ended really bad, and the only thing that saved them was the, uh, uh, the actual Black Plague, because it eliminated 50% of the population, and then there was uh, all of a sudden enough money to circulate around. Mm. Mm. Doesn't I scratch my chin, <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, And then the next major uh, bubble uh, in modern times was uh, the South Sea Bubble of 1720, and it was very interesting. That was uh, John Law. Uh, in France and the British government in um, London and they basically were speculating in the stock market a lot of people were speculating in the stock market in fact the South Sea Company went from a hundred pounds to a thousand pounds almost within a year there was so much speculation in it and when it finally collapsed and what was happening as it was going up the Bank of England was providing the financing so people could buy more shares so it was this loop, this closed loop, where the shares went up, the Bank of England provided more financing. Out of thin air. Out of thin air, which the P 
people said, oh, it's going up, let's speculate some more. So then the price went up again, then the Bank of England provided more money, and it goes up, 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 up. And then the last guy buys the last share at a thousand pounds, and then the next guy goes, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell's going on? Exactly. <clears throat> and, and what happened was half the aristocracy of England was wiped out, along with half the aristocracy of France. They had another bubble called the Mississippi bubble, okay? The Mississippi Company, where John Law promoted this company, and he promoted the New World as, you know, North America as being filled with nothing but mines, gold and silver and furs and all this other stuff. And what they were doing, they were collecting, France was collecting all of the deadbeats, the criminals, the baby rapers, the, you know, undesirables. They put them on a ship and they sent them to New Orleans. And half of them, I know, it was 75% of them died on the way there. And of the 25% that survived, another 50% died from the harsh, harsh environment. Remember, this was like 1700s. So uh, when that collapsed, the king was pissed. He lost a fortune. Uh, there's a book that describes this quite well. It's called The King, the Crook, and the Gambler. Uh, really definitely a recommended read. You can find it on Amazon. And everyone lost so much money, and the Bank of England was thrown into chaos because now they borrowed money from everybody. It was a, a complete mess. So what ended up happening, they passed the Anti-Bubble Act. They passed all these acts to prevent it. And just in time, the next bubble was 1772, when the next bubble blew out. And the funny part was, the year previous, they, they rescinded the Anti-Bubble Act. <laughs> Just in time for the next bubble to blow out, okay? <laughs> and, and what exactly did the uh, Anti-Bubble Act do? Like, what did it prevent? It, well, it, it, just, it just reined in the Bank of England from uh, uh, providing these uh, complex financial instruments uh, and okay. crazy uh, lending and, and all this other stuff. And as soon as, you know, the 1772-1773 bubble rolled around, then all of a sudden, you know, they rescinded that act and it was party time again. So, of course, that blew out, and then there was another bubble, I think it was 1825 or 1835, something like that, and then the next one, which was a spectacular one, was the 1873 bubble, and the 1873 bubble looks exactly like the bubble we've gone through now. What actually happened, um, the Austrian, I, was, I think it was the Austrian-Hungarian Empire actually uh, had this scenario where the kings, uh, the emperors, uh, empires kind of merged and they set up a, a new banking system and of course they speculated in the mortgage markets hmm. in a major way and they issued huge amounts of debt and they created complex financial instruments that were uh, created to prevent default on a lot of these mortgage instruments now this is 1873 remember 18 like the late 18 this is uh, all it, paper being exchanged with right. pens and people. Right, but there still was a gold. There was, there was still a gold. Yeah, this was snail mail, and and this this bubble went global too. Right. What actually happened? Uh, Europe, Britain especially, was dependent on grain uh, imports from Russia, the Ukraine, Central Europe, and what happened? There was a new kid on the block, and that was America. And by the time eight the eighteen seventies rolled around, beginning of the eighteen seventies. What actually happened was uh, America was such an efficient producer of wheat and food products, they were undercutting the traditional European way of life. So what ended up happening, food, wheat, they, they, the Americans had like cargo ships that went over to Britain and undercut the Russians, the Ukrainians, and Central Europeans. Wow. And what happened was now that you had, think of it, now that you had, their, you had this huge mortgage bubble, the income of Central Europe and Russia was undermined, so they couldn't they couldn't pay their debt anymore. So uh, what ended up happening was, of course, the bubble popped, and it created this huge disaster. The market crashed in 1873. Numbers, vast numbers of banks went under. Uh, it was an absolute disaster. Europe Europe went into the worst depression ever. It went into a six-year hardcore depression. Massive unemployment, absolute deflationary pressure all the way down. 
real estate collapsed, everything collapsed. America went into a four-year depression, was rather nasty. Um, I mean, they eventually got out of it, but it went from 1873 to 1895. And that was the birth of the American, uh, the American industrial power, was 18, 18, late 1890s. And that's how it happened. And in fact, what was really amazing about the 1873 bubble, as the Europeans became rather distraught about all this destruction, they, uh, the whole anti-Semitic uh, movement began. And at the same time, that's when uh, a guy named Herzl, Mr. Herzl, uh, created the, um, the Zionist movement. So, you know, these things do not occur in vacuums. They all, they're all interrelated. Everything is tangled up there. Uh, and it's very interesting. The 1873 bubble is very, very close to the, uh, the bubble we're going through now. But the difference is, and it was global back then too. It involved the entire planet was involved in that. Right. And it took 15 years before it really, you know, got out of it. Right. And then, of course, the next bubble was the 1929 bubble. And that was an interesting bubble, too, because a lot of it was, it was real estate and technology back then. The Florida real estate bubble blew out in 1927. Then they had a momentous stock market rally. And a lot of it was based on, you know, technology. Uh, radio was a big thing. RCA, in fact, the interesting part about RCA, RCA, the, the stock was trading at, I don't know, $122 in the late late 20s like 28 or something and it had a dividend of three dollars okay after that it crashed to like dirt like three bucks or something I mean it completely crashed into oblivion it took RCA until 1955 to recover half half of their stock price hmm. okay and they never achieved a three dollar dividend even with Elvis Okay, they got the Elvis contract, which is the most lucrative contract ever. Right. I mean, they shoveled money on Elvis, and they still never hit a $3 dividend, hmm. ever. Um, and then, uh, when 1929, we all know about that, uh, the Great Depression, uh, although the 1873 bubble was known before 1929, it was called the Greatest Depression. And then, of course, we had the 2000, you know, dot-com bubble. I'm not going to go into that. Everybody knows about what happened there. But the interesting part about that, we did it in reverse this time. In 27, we had the real estate boom, which blew out and created the stock market boom. And this time we had the stock market boom, and then we had the real estate boom, and now we're going to have a massive financial train wreck. That is the greatest one in history. This one is so big. It's so massive. I mean, the depression is going to be so goddamn nasty. It is going to flip everyone out. And I'm afraid that it's going to be so much worse than oh. others because we have instant, instant communication around the planet. And this thing is self-adjusting and it still can't correct. No matter how much money these guys are shoving at it and piling well, at it, it's still this not is the making a dent. Now remember, back in the 1873 bubble, they had to put paper on the back of a horse or and, cow or cow and or donkey had, and they had to and they had to move it from one place to another and then the guy on the other end had to open up all these big boxes of paper and he had to read them and then he had to make decisions about what he wanted to do make his decisions write up all his paperwork stick it on another donkey and send it back right this yeah. is how the world worked but now we can do it within one second. We, can, we have computer algorithms that make these decisions, and nothing is correcting. <laughs> Everything is still going in the same direction. Well, this is, this is what's, you know, the, the, the hard part about it is, you know, um, this bubble, I think, is about $100 trillion. And they're printing and printing and printing and bailing and bailing and bailing. And the thing is, they can never bail... They can never print and bail fast enough because the leak is so big. It's like, let me put it to you this way. It's like you have a leak in the Hoover Dam, okay? And, and the leak is so big, no matter, you're, you're putting bubblegum patches on it. And it still won't matter because the leak is like this great big huge hole. And, and when, when you say printing, I just want to jump in here because 
um, the listeners may not understand, but when, when we're talking about printing money, we're not talking about running a press and actual money of exchange coming out the other side, which is then being handed out. We're talking about money of account, which is basically numbers being typed into a computer right. that then appear on other computers, and it happens instantly. So we just want to be clear on that. I mean, this is going to be... I mean, you know, the talking heads on all these programs are just that. They're, they're complete idiots. I mean, you might as well put a robot on there and just have it uh, uh, put a tape in its butt and just, like Teddy Ruxpin. You might as well put Teddy Ruxpins, okay, on these on these programs. Oh, I thought they did have Teddy Ruxpins on the program. Well, maybe they do, you know. I mean, just, you know. <laughs> That's you all I can see. I, I Honestly, if I do turn on the TV... I go. Who put all these Teddy Ruxpins on here? You know, it all looks the same to me. I, I yeah, really it's just it's just it. a tape. They shove in their back, and they babble on like a bunch of idiots. I mean, none of them can think. Oh, well, they're not paid to think. They're paid to read. They're paid to recite whatever the the direct. The they're direct pushers. Yeah, direct pushers. And if you don't know what that is, look it up. <laughs> okay, they're direct pushers. I mean, that's and that's the ridiculous part. And and the, the even more ridiculous part to all of this is that the papers are saying, oh, you know, for a long time. Up until it was so obvious. They're saying, oh, it's all okay. You know, the sun is shining. It's all good. Oh, they're going to fix it. They're just, they're like just PhDs with big dials that can tune everything and make it all good. And I'd say, horse shit. I, yeah, because for, for the media to keep proclaiming that these, that these people in government know what they're doing and, and that they're going to make a difference... What they're doing is they're just trying to prolong general public belief that there's actually something being done, when in fact these people are irrelevant. The and 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 that's why I'm glad that that the things are going the way they're going because the public is gonna realize that these people are irrelevant, that the government is irrelevant. The government is a business, and it should be treated as a business. It should be. Uh, it should offer services that people can choose from and also uh, gracefully bow out of. Kind of interesting is this uh, Freeman stuff, and uh, I, I, you know I'm starting to get the whole picture of it that really government is nothing more than a business, a commerce. It's like this layer on top of our uh, God-given free rights that we have, and we surrender those rights. Um, and government, we really have a choice if we want government services or not. We don't have to take the stuff. I think you're getting it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I, that's Maybe you can elaborate a little bit more. Okay. I guess it all boils down to uh, slavery. And uh, if you look at, at any, any one of the Commonwealth countries, slavery, or let me put it to you this way, involuntary servitude mm -hmm. has been abolished. You, you cannot be uh, an involuntary slave. Okay. However, you can volunteer to be a slave. And through our lack of education, or the general public's lack of education, they voluntarily give up their rights in the form of contracts so that they can become a slave. But they don't understand that that's what they're actually doing every time they go and apply for benefit or um, you know, request a service. Because when you do that, you give up certain rights as a man. Now, the government has built in layers so that uh, you as a man can't, can't exist in their system anyways. You have to exist as a legal fiction in their system. In other words, they can't see a man. If you were to walk into a government office and say, Hi, I'm here. 
they can't see you. And I know this sounds very difficult to understand, but they can only see your government-created fiction, which is your person. They can only see that person, and that person they would see as, um, as a taxpayer, or they would see that person as a citizen, or that person as an elector, or whatever other umpteen different types of legal persons there are. And they create that person when your parents hand over the statement of live birth to the government. The government then takes the information off the statement of live birth. They create a fictional entity, a new, you know, for lack of a better word, a corporation with the name that looks a lot like yours. And that now is your little ticket into their fictional world of commerce. Because everything to do with commerce, and I, people don't believe this, but until they start looking at it harder, everything to do with commerce is all about fiction. There's absolutely no money. Now, what document gives us the right uh, or, or gives us the ability to prevent involuntary uh, slavery? Like, what document gives us that? Well, if that you look right? at it this way, when, when you come out of your mother's womb as a child, uh, certain processes are kicked into play with the government. They basically, um, almost at gunpoint, uh, threaten your parents uh, if they don't submit a statement of live birth they will be prosecuted they're they're quite vigilant with this stuff vital statistics is something they're very very uh, keen on and they need that information so they can create this quote-unquote person and they hand that certificate to the parents who then hand it to the the child as they grow up become an adult they're, they never tell you what you can and cannot do with this birth certificate they make you believe that it is yours. It is not yours. If you check the legislation, which is all law, and, and again, there's a difference between law and law, and when I say law, I'm talking about their laws and statutes. I, I, I talk about that in lowercase l, and then right. there's uppercase l, which is law like real law. Like, thou, you know, don't kill, don't steal, don't harm. Do no harm, essentially. So what they do is they hand you this birth certificate, and they don't tell you what to do with it. They just say, here you go, it's, it's yours. The fact is it's not yours, because if you check the legislation, they can take it back. And if you understand what, you know, in a free society, that if somebody can come up to another, another free person, free man, I should say, and take something from them, the only way that can happen is if the the man who had that thing in his possession didn't own it in the first place. Hmm. It wasn't his. So we, so, so, so we don't own our birth certificates. Okay. Because right. it can be taken back. Just like a credit card is not your property. Right. Okay. It is the credit card company's property. Right. Just like, and I can get into it with you with just like a registered vehicle or an art registered retirement savings plan or anything with the word registered in it uh, is not yours. It is property of someone else, some other person and some other legal fiction, not... So you don't own your name. car, you don't own your house, you don't own any of it. If, if it's been registered in that legal name, that legal name is not yours. It's not of you and it is not yours. So if anything is registered in that name, it is government property. So how do you deregister? Or can you? Well, you have to first of all get over the hump of fear and anger that all this stuff that's registered in that name is is not yours. You have to get over that first. And and I found that to be difficult because right. you you know, you, you, you work all your life to pay for a house, pay for a car, throw all this money into an RRSP which you think is is real and you think is yours and you think you're gonna have later on in life only to find out well heck it's just it's the government's property and uh, you're just playing their game so the point isn't in deregistering because you can't deregister um, if it's in the name it's in the name so what you have to start doing is stop using that name and and how do you do that is the big question and I think we're pretty well, we figured things out. Just cut everything up. Uh, you can start that. Start 
cutting up credit cards and that sort of thing. But I think more importantly, when you realize that you are signing for a government entity, you're signing for this legal fiction. Let's say you're buying a car or what, what the, whatever the case is. Um, you realize that you're not buying the car. It's, it's not you that's buying it. It's this legal fiction. And it's, it's, you have to accept that you're buying it for the government, really, is how it works. And so you just have to make sure that you sign your contracts or their contracts appropriately. And when you start looking at contract law and how things are signed and who takes responsibility for signatures and et cetera, et cetera, for instance, if you're working for General Motors and you were buying a piece of machinery for General Motors, um, you wouldn't be signing on the dotted line for yourself. You'd be signing for the corporation. And so when payment... Or an agent or, of the corporation. Or an agent of the corporation, absolutely. So as soon as things come up and they start looking for payment, you know, now you can now they look at the contract and they go, "Oh, uh, Hiram here, he signed Hiram Goldfinger right across the contract. Well, he's liable now." However, if he would have signed that contract Hiram Goldfinger for General Motors Corporation, well now this takes a whole different legal meaning to these Legal guys. It now makes, remember, it makes the corporation responsible. It makes General Motors responsible. Absolutely. So, you have to realize that these guys that are playing in this this fictional world are, are are not fully disclosing how things work. They're counting on everyone's you know ignorance. trust and ignorance to to keep the, the the ball game going. So when you get to the point where you sign contracts realize you can get off the hook legally speaking as long as you sign a certain way indicating the difference between you the man and the name which is a government person. But that still doesn't get you around the fact that um, if you buy a car and you sign for you know agent of right yes they still own the car they still own the car. Yeah, yes. no, you cannot own. And this is another thing we have to realize. If you're using the name to buy something, right. you can't own it. Okay. There is no ownership in that respect. The only way that you can own something is if somebody has something or they've created it. Forget about cars. I'm talking about, you know, a man made a piece of furniture with his bare hands. He cut the trees down. He, he made it. Now you go up to him and then you trade something with him for it, mm -hmm. and and that's it. It's it's ownership now, right? Right. And you can use uh, what is Wampum, it? Section, section thirty nine of the I think it's thirty nine of the criminal code, um, a claim of right on property, basically. Okay. Um, so, but if the if they have paperwork that says the property is registered in this legal name. Guess what? The no matter what your it. claim of right is, the government owns it. Right. They're they're not going to come out and tell you we own it because then their whole their whole System. shell game is blown open. Their whole Pandora's box is wide open. But right. people now are starting to realize that this is all a scam, and they have to just start signing their contracts as per. And then, but then, and then they're the, going to have to get into court. Right. And then the the lawyers are gonna are going to have to enforce their own rules. But well, then what's the, what's the point of owning a piece of property or trying to make something good for yourself? I mean, what's the point of any of it then? I mean, it's just totally depressing. It means that you're putting all this work in for nothing. Uh, pretty well. Yeah. If you think you own it, if you think you own it and it's in that name, then yeah, unfortunately you're going to like I said, you're going to get over going to have to get over a lot of a lot of pain. You're going to go through a lot of psychological No, is there pain. any way is there any way around it? Uh, well, this what the the Freeman movement is is trying to uh, you know get solutions for. Um, there's a whole plethora of different avenues you can go down with this. There's commercial remedies. There's private remedies. Um, common law. It, it's unbelievable the different uh, remedies that that you can come up with, and that's where everyone has to basically take the time and start to look at and study because what I found is everybody has their own 
personal um, style of how to take care of these things and how to present their arguments into what what we call a public forum. Well, now let's say you go out and you buy a house or a piece of property. Um, just as an example, you're saying there is no way to uh, have that as your own. No, not unless the seller had a lodial title of, to the property in the first place. Right. And in that case, you'd have to make a private sale. Um, I'm not all keen on what all the details are, but from what I understand is, once the sale is made, uh, the two, you know, the former property owner and the new property owner uh, would sign an agreement, um, whatever uh, private funds would be exchanged, whatever private property or barter or whatever the case is would be exchanged, and then they would record the sale into the public uh, they would at least attempt to provide uh, the authorities uh, the uh, the information under threat of prosecution, of course. And uh, like like uh, the approach I always take is be uh, be open and clear with what you do. Um, clean hands policy. Um, present to them your information, and if they basically say uh, we can't accept your information. Uh, we will not do that. We will not record it. We need you to register it or whatever other nonsense they come up with. You just basically have, make sure you have a few witnesses there and take down all the information. And then you just have signed affirmations that say, we attempted to do what we did and we were denied by, by the government uh, agents. So what we have right now is we do have people that are making attempts at purchasing vehicles uh without using the name attempting to get get the vehicle the nivis which is a new vehicle information sheet into their possession and rather than hand it over to the agents they keep that and give the agents a copy under threat of prosecution obviously and uh and that way they can attempt to have clear clear and unrestricted uh, use of that vehicle I don't recommend going out and just start start doing this. I get people asking me all the time, "Oh, I should just start, you know, doing this or doing that." And I, no. I say, no. no, 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 very dangerous. Don't because this is a very big, big uh, can of worms, and there's a lot of people involved in here that don't want this coming out. Um, there's prosecutors whose livelihoods depend on all this stuff, so. Don't go out and, and play, but keep your eyes open and watch what you can. And, and the biggest thing you can do to learn about this sort of thing is to go to court with the understanding. Um, I mean, if you've seen any, one of, any of Robert Menard's videos, um, any of uh, Sam Kennedy's audios, Winston Shrout's audios, um, there's uh, a whole handful of people, uh, Victoria Joy, and there's even a gentleman here in Ontario named Vic Beck, who, uh, who's got very enlightening views. All these people are extremely controversial to the average person, to the average listener, but all these people all have overlapping um, uh, factual, uh, uh, practical um, you know, information on all this. Right. And it's just a matter of how deep you want to go into the rabbit hole because it is very, very deep. Well, you have to become essentially competent. Yes. You have to become competent. And I, I think what really amazed me about all this stuff was uh, the words in a courtroom, the words have different meanings. Yes. So an everyday word like, for example, understand. Yes. Means something completely different in a court of law. And in fact, what I didn't realize was that the lawyers and the courts really... Um, they have their own little dictionaries to explain all these words. So they try and confuse the situation. Yes. And then the other thing that really amazed me was that the judge never really... The judge is there not to look at... Like, he, he doesn't take all of the knowledge of humanity and all these judgments no. and put it in his head. No. No. He looks at a very narrow band yes. of information that are provided to him by the prosecution and the defense. Yes. And... He is the judge of the information that's given to him. Yes. Okay. And, and all he does in, in every court I've seen anyways is he enforces contracts. And that is it. 
the, the, the beginning of the day when the court opens, that court is an empty box. There's nothing in there. Everything has to be submitted at the beginning of the day. It's like they hand the guy a fresh copy of the criminal code at the beginning of the day. Right. They hand the guy a fresh copy of the contracts or any statutes that are involved, which aren't, which aren't laws again. These are all acts and codes and statutes. These are all man-made contracts, which we have subjected ourselves to by agreeing to be citizens or agreeing to be drivers or agreeing to be all these other persons. Right. Well, I think what really brought it home for me was uh, you explained to me once that uh, if you go to any municipality and you say, I would like your laws or your statutes, basically they won't give them to you because they are copywritten. Now, if a law was supposed to be for the people, it would never be copyrighted. That's right. Okay, it, it would never be somebody's property. It would be the people's property. Well, look at look at bylaws, for example. Bylaws, by definition, are rules of a corporation. And so, let's say you go into a township, and they charge you with a bylaw offense. Well, how did this how did this happen that they can enforce a contract on you? How? Well, it works like this. You, by let's say you, you've got your Ontario driver's license or you admit to being an Ontario taxpayer you now have a contract with the Ontario provincial government okay now when you signed up for that the way the legislature was set up is that that government or that that other business called government uh, also has agreements to form the or to uh, to subject or subject their laws on these municipalities. And remember, all these municipalities are registered corporations with the provincial government. Yeah. So they're bound to all the statutes of the provincial government. Well, of course, in the provincial government statutes, when you sign up for that, it says, that if, well, if you're going to be a taxpayer, you're going to be subject to all of our sub-corporations. Mm -hmm. And you agree to pay blah, 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 right? So really, so, the best thing is not to be a taxpayer. Exactly. Because, And, and that's what I find hilarious, because... I see these videos of these guys going, uh, getting beat by the cops, and they're like yelling at the cop, you know, I'm a, I'm a citizen, and I'm a taxpayer, and you can't beat me. Well, hang on a second. That's the excuse to beat you even harder. Right. It gives them the right. It gives them the right. But if you don't identify yourself as that, and you say, I'm a man, I'm a man, I'm, I don't pay taxes, and I don't consent to this. Well, now you're talking a whole different can of worms. This is a whole ball, whole but different you know, ball game. I, you I don't mean, consent to it. Now the thing is, as I've gotten looked into this more and more, and looked gotten further and further into this, the thing I find is that now if you divorce yourself from this system, yeah, I mean, what do you do? I mean, you you can't make a living. I mean, it's very difficult. Well, this is it. This is it. This is the this is the the crossroads you eventually get towards as you realize, hey. They control this whole currency, this whole thing called money. Right. And when you start to look at what is money, how is it created, how is it transferred and moved, and what's it for, then you start to wonder, okay, how can I get out of this thing? And that's, that's what I think well, we're at this crossroad where people are realizing that, hey, if I can't own anything, um, why am I paying for it? Hmm, who owns it? Oh, well, if they own it, shouldn't they pay? Exactly. And you know, th that brings up another point at what most people don't realize that money is a lot of different things. Yes. Money is physical cash, like the physical bills and coins that you put in your hand, okay? But money can also be mortgage paper, okay? Absolutely. It can be Promise promises, to, promises to pay that the banks use as collateral between themselves and they exchange that as if it was money. Also, the other thing that is money, um, you have a lot of these, what banks do is they make their own derivatives. So they say, well, this is a derivative instrument, okay? And with this mathematical formula and the assets behind it, we declared it's worth X amount. And they actually trade that between the investment banks and, and all this other stuff. So money is really a lot of different things. The physical cash that you see and use is actually very, very scarce. There's very little of it. In fact, at one time, 
um, in the USSR or former Soviet Republic, there were more $100 U.S. bills circulating physically in Russia than there was in the United States. Because what's collapsing, it's not the cash that's disappearing. It's the deflation that we're experiencing right now. It's not cash that's disappearing. It's the actual credit, the mortgage paper that they used as cr cash is actually falling in value to where it's l worth less. And then the insurance that they used to back that up which is, is all fictional, too. All fictional, too. So that's collapsing, and that's pushing asset prices down. And what's going to happen is cash is going to become very scarce. So all these systems, you know, what you're talking about, and then the financial system, they all tie together. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it completely gels with this whole, uh, the monetary policies that we see, this whole inflation of the currency, this, this money out of thin air, all this stuff. Right, co plays completely into what I'm talking about. Um, is that all these crimes too are commercial in nature? Right. That they that they try to charge you with these pre-crimes, you know, uh, not wearing a seatbelt, you know, or whatever it is. All these things are statutes, rules of a corporation that you have that you have agreed to uh, to uh, to be charged with. Right. Um, should they deem it necessary to to charge you? Well, this is this is the thing. I mean. You know, what I struggle with all the time is, uh, you know, how do you sort of get un out from under all of this? I mean, the one route is just destroy everything and say, I'm going to live like a hippie. Well, the, the yeah, yeah, that's or, one or, way. Or the other thing is to say, okay, I really don't own it, and then I'll just use government, my make my own promissory notes to uh, uh, pay the, uh, the and, government. And, and there are some people doing that, and uh, we have various levels of success with that, so... It, again, it, it's one of these things. There's no silver bullet, but right. it's going to take a lot of effort from a lot of people pushing. And right now, um, the well, they're trying to they're trying to discredit all this. The government, anyways, the people in government are trying to discredit all this, and they call people that start using these tactics. They call them they call them paper terrorists. They right. call, call it paper terrorism. Um, so we're starting to see that. They're realizing that people are waking up to this, so they're already starting their counterattack. Well, I think now, I, I think with this latest, uh, uh, you know, sort of beer hall uh, putsch, I guess you want, you know, if you want to call it that, that we have, or this uh, takeover from the communists in uh, the Canadian government, the uh, liberals and the NDP and the separatists. I mean, the hardcore commies. I mean, now that they're trying to take over, I think people are going to start waking up to the fact that, hey, you know what? You are under threat. Your liberties, your freedoms, your ability to make a living is all under threat. And uh, I think people are, are, are to, to, to just add to that, is that once you vote for these people, you have to realize that just the act of voting, you are now putting your signature to this government-created name, and you're creating that joinder. And you are, in fact, uh, indicating your consent to be governed when you right. do that. So, to me, the very first thing you have to do is to revoke your consent to be governed by indicating, not using the government forms, but with your own notice to the government, to, to that you do not want to be part of that corporation. You right. do not want to vote in it because when you do, you subject yourself to their bylaws, their statutes, their codes, regulations, and every every other piece of garbage that they throw at you, like taxes and all this other garbage. Right. So you have to fire them if you want out. Right. But you know, then the next thing is how how do you become mobile? How do you get around? I mean, how do you make a living? I mean, that's the next big problem. Yeah. And and the question then becomes. Do you want to live your life being harassed by people that don't know any better? Yeah, that's I another thing. The cops, because you can't go around explaining your rights to every single cop under the sun. So we've got ways of uh, taking care of that and um, and notices that I believe uh, are gonna uh, have some wave effect. Right. Um, and we, we're we're basically working on perfecting those claims right now. And this concludes this week's show. I'm your guest host, Hiram Goldfinger. And I'm Bill. Yes. Next week's show, we're going to discuss uh, more bubbles, more about the financial chaos, uh, some ways to protect yourself, 
possibly some stock tips if you're into that. Um, Bill, anything on your side you want to discuss next week? So maybe we'll maybe talk about the Constitution a bit and how it relates to uh, the average Canadian. Well, I'd like to talk, rather than the Charter of Rights, I think we should talk about the Bill of Rights next week because uh, the Bill of Rights applies to free men while the Charter applies to citizens. So we might want to look at the difference. Ah, the okay. Two. Okay. All right. Yeah. Have a great day and have a great week. Yep. See you next time. Bye. When I think back on all the crap I learned in high school, it's a wonder I can think at all. And my life.